didn't realize it until uh, about an hour ago we were talking it's been about 20 over 20 years ago that uh, I was a deacon covering the mission work uh, the Rossville congregation and had a young man and his wife come to our home <clears throat> we were uh, foster parents over in Lookout Valley and uh, they came to our home one afternoon we're going to meet with the elders for support so they were with us uh, that afternoon until the evening worship service and I remember telling our elders you know whether we support him or not this guy is on fire he's going to work and I don't regret one bit the support that uh, congregations have given to Randy English. Randy and Sharon are here tonight. Appreciate so much their uh, many hours they put in each week. And uh, first thing I learned after he came back to report was it's not American Samoa, it's Samoa. So I'm not, I talk kind of slow, so I'm going to be quick about this, but uh, Randy's here to report on the work and uh, the efforts that are going on in his neck of the woods, and I'll let him explain exactly uh, what's happening. Randy, come speak to us. Well, I want to thank Brother Steve and JC and John, uh, all of those men who gave their time this evening. We had the opportunity to meet before services and uh, we were able to share quite a few things there. And Brother Steve is right. It was actually in 1989 when we came to his home for the first time. And I think it was that same year that I showed up at some of others' homes here with us tonight at the White Oak Congregation. And I want to say this, that uh, I'm very thankful to everybody here in the congregation this evening at the White Oak Church for not only supporting us financially in the work that we're doing of preaching the gospel, but also your prayers, the times you've thought of our family. And I also want you to know that there are a good number of people in this room tonight that I would account as being responsible for not only encouraging Sharon and I in the very beginning, of our work in early 1989, but also us remaining on the field through these years. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for those men and women here. It really is always a joy to be back in America, and especially to be here. Every time I've came to this congregation, You've been an encouragement to me. And I visited with your elders tonight, had the opportunity to visit with Brother Ted and Joanne this afternoon and other members as well, Lori and his wife. And I've found out some of the great things that's going on here. I regret not being able to see Brother Jim tonight, but I know that he's working hard. And what a tremendous work in the television broadcast that you all are doing from the White Oak Church. And I commend you for that. And I can't wait to talk to Jim and some others about us taking the audio feed for that and using it 
um, in Pacific Broadcast, more of which we're going to tell you about tonight. But it's, it's just great to be among people that we feel uh, very at ease with. And uh, I know that the times that uh, I've worked on the field with some of you, I remember Brother Joe and I laboring in the Pacific and uh, others here that I could tell right then and there that we were working with men and women who loved the truth of the Bible, who were going to remain in the truth of God's Word and do so in a loving way. Speaking the truth in love, that's what Paul said, right? And, you know, when we're working in areas of the world like you're going to see this evening, or wherever we may be, we really have not but one leg to stand on, and that is the gospel. The truth of the gospel. Shame on anyone for ever having come to the gospel and forsaking it. But we know that this is a congregation that loves the truth of God's word, will stand on the truth of God's word, and continue to see that it is taught and preached, and in a loving way. And we appreciate and respect you so much for that. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. And we're going to look at a passage, a brief passage here, that the Apostle Paul brings to us. Colossians chapter 1, beginning um, in verse 28 and 29. I want to say before I read this passage, that many of you have asked about my health, and I am so grateful to tell you that I'm, I'm doing well. You know, it was five years ago, five years ago that we came into this area and I had a doctor's appointment in Arkansas when we first landed in the U.S. and got a checkup and my doctor, I, I had a knot on the side of my neck and he checked it out and took a biopsy and then we set on the highway to head this way and report and also to go to Forest Park or overseeing where our overseeing elders are. And we had landed in this area, and we're with some of you all and, and enjoying that fellowship, but we were just hours off from me getting that call from the doctor that said, I'm sorry, Randy, you've got cancer. And so we would begin that battle in October, five years ago in November, begin treatment in November, and November and December and January. And it was a terrible thing, the, the treatment part, but you know what? It's, it's one of the times of my life that I will never forget. And I'm here to tell you right now that if you're dealing with that big burden, that huge burden, or any other burden like that, and you belong to God, that He can walk you through that even in the most difficult of times, and you can bring glory to His name. And I'm thankful to say to you five years later, I'm still going for checkups. I've got to leave this month to go back to MD Anderson. But all those checkups have just been 100% good. <laughs> And I'm thankful for your prayers in that regard. I think the last time that I saw you, I was trying to remember this with Brother Watkins. I, I must have been a lot thinner, and uh, I had lost all my hair maybe, or a good part of it, and was trying to get that back. And That's what treatment can do to you sometime. But you know what? We're thankful to God, aren't we, that we live in such a nation that we can even have treatment. There's many on this earth to this very day who cannot do that. And brethren, I know that this is a, is a big nation. I know we have a lot of problems in America, but let me tell you what. Please know and understand that this is a wonderful nation. It's a great nation. We're just big and we have a lot of problems because we're big, but we're blessed immensely in so many ways. And I'm thankful to be able to have 
that health care as I know you are. Let's look at the book of Colossians chapter 1. In verse 28, we'll begin there. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. Paul the Apostle says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. The Apostle Paul shares with us something here that I think in principle um, is, is extremely important when we think about our lives of Christians and winning others to the Lord. That's the work that you and I are in. Regardless of what our secular work would be, we belong to the Lord. And somebody has brought the gospel to us and shared it with us, and for that I'm thankful, as I know you are. But Paul helps us to see some very important things here I want to share with you before we go into our report tonight. And I hope that you too will remember these things. The first thing that I believe that Paul helps us to see is that if we're going to bring people to the Lord, if we're going to bring individuals to the Lord, if we're going to win families to the gospel, if we're going to bring nations to the Lord, then we need to be able to communicate with people. We need to be able to communicate the Word of God to people. Look at what Paul says in verse 28. The apostle here says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about preaching and teaching the Word of God. You know, you and I are wonderful when it comes to exerting our influence in the right kind of way. And we can help a lot of people when they see us in the life we live. We can help a lot of people to have an interest in the gospel. But at the end of the day, brethren, you and I, we must be able to bring the Word of God to people. We must be able to preach and teach every person as it were. This is one of the key principles that I see in this brief passage that Paul shares with us. Find a way. You might say, well, Brother English, I'm not a pulpit preacher. Well, that's fine. That's great. But we can communicate the Word of God. Find a way. Give a track and step out in faith. Do what Kathy Rosales did for Sharon and I over 20 years ago when she got lost in our neighborhood, stopped and asked for directions, rode down her window about that far, and began a conversation with Sharon. This is a faithful Christian woman, but a little bit uneasy that day because she's a black American sister and she was in an all-white neighborhood. She was going to a plumbing company and lost her way and stopped by our small home there and asked for directions. My beautiful wife was out front of that small little shotgun house that we owned in Arkansas. You know what a shotgun house is? And planting flowers out in the front of it in the springtime. Kathy began to talk to Sharon. And within a few minutes she got out of that Ford LTD and stepped up to the front porch and they sat down and began to visit more. And for the first time, we would hear about the church that Jesus built. Here's a woman who stepped out in faith. Not in the best of circumstances. Certainly not real easy for her. Good chance that we're going to say no flat out. But she stepped out in faith anyway. And she taught the Word of God. She communicated God's Word to us. People who had been praying and searching for the truth. That 
conversation of a few minutes led to an hour and went over an hour. And I came up from the back of the house and overheard what she was saying about there's just one church. And for the first time, I was hearing something that made sense to me. She left that day and later came back with some men from the church who would set up Bible studies. Six months later, Sharon and I obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can never go wrong communicating, preaching, teaching the Word of God. The second thing that Paul helps you and I to see is very important, found right in this passage, brethren. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Let's look at it again. Paul says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I see in this an every man mentality. The Apostle Paul had the mindset that every man is a prospect for the gospel. Can't you just see Paul, the Apostle, working like that? Wherever he went in his life each day. Well, if Paul had been alive right now, he would have stopped perhaps down at the uh, Walgreen Pharmacy and walked in the door and said, I need some bandages or I need some ointment or something. And I'm sure that he would have been looking around at the people in there and saying, okay, which one of these folks do I need to talk to about the Lord today? Paul had this kind of mindset, and we can see it revealed in this passage when he says, we warn every man. We teach every man in all wisdom. What's he talking about there? The Word of God. And he said, we go on that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. When you and I, brethren, will have an every man mentality, there's something about that that will help us to bring people to the Lord. Kathy Rosales had an every man mentality. It mattered not to her that day that there was a younger couple here and they were busy and she was busy and she was lost. It mattered not to Kathy that we were white and she was a black American. It mattered not that our pit bull boxer was barking his head off at her, trying to eat her as she got out of that car. It mattered not that she was actually lost that day and couldn't find her way. She had an everyman mentality. Let me tell you something. Kathy Rosales and some of you sitting here tonight have taught me that. Everybody is a prospect for the gospel. Guaranteed when you and I begin to think like that, and act like that. You know what's going to happen? You're going to knock the back of that wall out of this building. You're going to take the side walls out that way and that way like the churches and the buildings in Kiribati. We have what's called Maniabas. They look like giant pole barns. They don't have any walls in them. Why, Brother English? How can that happen? Because you are God's people. And God has, listen to the word, entrusted the gospel into your hands. Every man, every woman is a prospect for the gospel. The third thing that I see in this passage from the Apostle Paul that helps me. First, Randy, communicate the Word of God. Preach and teach the Word of God. Secondly, have an every man mentality. And third, have a goal, brethren. Have a goal. The Apostle Paul had a goal. Can you tell what it is from verse 28? Paul said there that him we preach, speaking of Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. There's Paul's goal. He had a goal of being able to present any, perfect, any person perfect in Christ Jesus. 
Now, in and of ourselves, you and I, we cannot do that. But ask yourself the question this evening, how, pray tell, can I take that best friend of mine, or how can I take that relative of mine, and be able to possibly think, I want to be able to present them perfect in Christ Jesus. You know, that's only going to happen one way, when they obey the gospel and they're washed by the blood of the Lamb. I can't be perfect, but I can be perfected through the blood of Christ. And so this was Paul's goal, no doubt. When he met a person, he wasn't just thinking on a, on a mid-level about them. Well, I wonder if, if, if I wonder if I could study the Scriptures with them. Or I wonder if they're really listening. I'm convinced that Paul, the apostle, had the goal of being able, after his time with every individual, of being able to present them perfect in Christ Jesus. What a lofty goal that is. I've tried to set my mind on that kind of goal. If I don't do that, then I begin to think about little things that can get in the way of someone obeying the gospel. Now, <clears throat> I know Sharon will disagree with this, but I, I am somewhat a stubborn man. <laughs> and I, I'm sure she may tell you that, or maybe not. But you know, Kathy Rosales, I recall, and others there at the Church of Christ in Fort Smith, Arkansas, they had to work hard at teaching me. I feel terrible about the, uh, you know, all the questions I would pepper them with and all the objections and everything, but they stood right in there with me. And I think about men like Roy Donovan and Jack Harriman and others who stood in there in those Bible studies and just patiently answered my question. And I know that men like that and others like them and women had a goal. We want to see this young man and his wife perfected in Christ. I'm telling you today, when you set that kind of goal for one of your good friends, for one of your relatives, for a nation of people on the other side of this great country, for a community down the road, set your goal to see them perfected in Christ Jesus and work toward it. Watch what happens. God will bring a wonderful increase. And so these three very simple Bible principles I wanted to share with you this evening, brethren, because these are the kind of things that are being done in the Pacific to help us to evangelize an area of the world that is so remote, logistically difficult to get a hold of. And we have, as I said in the beginning tonight, really only one thing to stand on, and that is the Bible. These very simple principles, when they're combined with hard work and sticking to it, staying with it, result in God giving a great increase. The Apostle Paul said, I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And so tonight, I want to share with you a few things in our report on the work in the Pacific so that you may see how that God has given an increase. And I want to say tonight, too, that as you see these things, these men and women that are in our presentation tonight. These are hard-working Christian people for the most part. Others in there might not yet be Christians. But I want to say that this great increase that's happening from nation to nation to nation doesn't come without difficulty. It doesn't come without hard work. But you've persisted, and we're persistent, and to God be the glory for the great things that He has done. The work in the Pacific really is about a whole lot of people. It's about being able to come into an area where the gospel has never gone before and bringing the gospel for the very first time in some of these nations. 
I'm sorry my button's not on. Our brother warned me there, and I think I got it right now. How am I doing? Not too good. I just failed my first electronics test. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> you okay? Thank you. It, isn't he wonderful? He's been helping since I walked in the door tonight. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, well, I'll just speak up. I don't see a portable mic, but if I'm not loud enough, you let me know, okay? And you just do this, and I'll, I'll raise it up some, because I might be out here with you a bit. Reaching remote homes in the gospel is what you have sent us out to do. That's the mission that you sent us on. The elders at Forest Park oversee that mission, and so we have done our best to faithfully carry out that task. Truly, this is good news. The Forest Park elders that oversee our work in just a few days from now are going to begin the World Mission Forum. Their theme this year is, before you tonight in Proverbs, as cold water is to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Man, it is great news, isn't it? It's good news when we hear about people coming to the Lord, whether it's right here in our own neighborhood or on the other side of this great planet that we live in. We are involved in many facets of the work. Of course, to do that, we have to report the work to you. We try to do that through several mechanisms. We're moving more and more and more into an electronic world. But I'm reminded by my dear wife and some of our very dear co-workers that the printed page is still needed. And so our newsletter, Sunlight in the Pacific, has been in remission on the print side and into e-version more recently. But we are moving it back to a printed version Plus, we have it available online at this website and in other places. Sunlight in the Pacific focuses on the Lord's work, focuses on the culture, and it focuses on some about our family and what's happening with us. Also, you can find out many things about what's going on in the work through the Pacific Broadcast website. Now, I'm going to tell you more about Pacific Broadcast in just a moment, but it's a growing part of the work in the Pacific. Oversight of a work is vitally important. You would want that for any missionary that you send out. The Forest Park elders faithfully, diligently oversee the English family in the Pacific. These are good men. These are certainly qualified men and godly men. And they work hard. They know the Pacific better than we know the Pacific. And we have full confidence in their ability to oversee our work there. We're grateful to see them on the field at least once a year with us in the areas where we work. Supporting the work is something that has to be done. And it's a joy to support a work, uh, a work that I would say is a great work. Nehemiah called the work of God on the wall a great work when Sanballat and Tobias told him, Hey, Nehemiah, why don't you come down off of that wall? And he said, Why should I leave this great work? It's great because it belongs to God, and it's worthy to be supported because it's preaching and teaching the truth of God's Word. And we're thankful for the brethren here at White Oak and for your wonderful contribution to helping us spread the gospel in the Pacific. Doing the work is a daily part of it. We don't just try to plan an event and do that and it's over with, but it's day after day after day. That really does take a commitment on the part of your family. I want you to know that I value my family very deeply. First and foremost, my wife, who went to the field with me in 1989. And she was pregnant with our, our first son, Garrett, who would be born in less than 60 days after arriving on the field. She was introduced to the LBJ Tropical Medical Center. 
which is basically a screen, a giant screen in porch. And that's where we had our first baby. I remember he cost us $35. And the next one was $5, I think it was, unless I've got that backwards. Somebody said, well, that's not very much money, but then again, you get what you pay for, is that right? <laughs> and well, they were worth a lot, but I only had to pay five bucks a head. These children are absolute blessings to us. They were born and raised in the Pacific, faithful young men. And of course, we had Cassie Leilani to come along. She was a, the last of five children. And of course, my dear co-worker, Sherry. She's here tonight, and I hope you do get the opportunity to speak to her. This woman has never asked me to come off of the field in the 23 years that we've labored. And I'm thankful and grateful for that. You men, with your spouses sitting beside you tonight, I know you know what that means. But if she did ask, I'm convinced she would have a good reason. And I'm convinced that this man would listen. And I hope you'll have the opportunity to visit with her for just a moment this evening as we're here. Faithful co-workers are without question at the center of the work in the Pacific. It takes a lot of people to work in such a large area. Men and women who faithfully teach the Word of God. Listen, I recall in the early years when you all uh, have sent us out, and even in the beginning years of the work, beginning in 1989 and 1990, working with a man by the name of Jim Beerman, who had already preached the gospel in the Pacific. And the beautiful thing about it was that we would go into the Pacific in an area to work like Fiji, and Jim would come in there to workshop the gospel meeting. And one of the things that was great is we didn't have to tell people who Jim was. They'd already heard him on the radio. And it was automatic contacts for us. That early awareness of the fact that you could preach the gospel on the radio in these countries and have an open door of contacts settled into my mind and my heart. I never left that aside. It was one of the most important things that I would learn. And you'll find out quickly why it became so important. These co-workers that serve in the Pacific, men and women just like yourselves who come and work for short-term periods, mostly, some long-term, have been an incredible contribution to the evangelizing of nations in the Pacific Islands. These are dedicated men and women. Uh, all different age groups who have helped us to evangelize these nations. These are the predominant work areas that we're involved in in the Pacific, although the last one, Pacific Broadcast, is really about every corner of the Pacific. American Samoan, the Solomon Islands, Christmas Island, which is in the country of Kiribati, and of course, French Polynesia are just some of the work areas, but the predominant. You can see that the Pacific Islands is a huge area. It spans all the way from the coast of California all the way across to Asia. The island that we live on is called Tutuila Island. It's a very rugged and mountainous island. It's a beautiful place. It gets over a, almost 200 inches of rain a year. So that's why everything's so green and grows. It's just incredible how stuff grows. You've got to cut your yard 52 weeks a year. You can wear out a Murray 21-inch lawnmower from Walmart. They're not made to mow your yard every, every week. I can tell you that right now. It's a, it's a great island. It's a U.S. territory. Uh, it's not a real big island, about 30 miles long, roughly, and you can see different widths, but about 40,000 people live on this island. The elders at Forest Park chose this as a base location. It was never intended from day one for us to go there, stay there, remain there, and work only there. 
but to go there as a base and from there go out into other countries in the Pacific. They chose American Samoa because it is a U.S. territory. So not once have we ever had to apply for a visa. The U.S. passport would get us there, keep us there, and there's never been any question about that. The elders of Forest Park have worked with mission teams in foreign countries. They knew the difficulties. And they said, we've got to choose a work base in the Pacific Rim. This is where we're going to choose. That problem, we know, won't be with us. And so the U.S. territory of American Samoa was chose. Here, Pongo Harbor is one of the deepest, most concealed, secluded harbors in all the world. And this is why the U.S. government had its initial interest in American Samoa. It was originally chosen as a fueling station for the Navy vessels. And of course, they continue in this territorial status with uh, the United States and enjoy that relationship. There are three congregations of people in American Samoa. These are indigenous, self-supporting congregations. The one, uh, the Leone Church of Christ, is the one that we have worked the most with throughout the years. It is a self-supporting group. They lost their church building a little over two years ago. The building just burned down to the ground. Nothing, not even a songbook left with it. But they began to work at meeting different places. It's a struggle to find a place to meet there. Land is very expensive, and it's not easily obtainable. If you can get a quarter acre of land, you're going to pay about anywhere from forty dollars to $60,000 just for a quarter acre. But the problem is you can't hardly buy it because most of it's in the hands of chiefs. If they relinquish it to you to build on, you still don't have ownership. And I think you know where that is uh, when there's a dispute. So it's hard to find land. Men like Brother Peter Taliboa, a faithful gospel preacher there at the Leone congregation, Brother Omeka Malila and others, labored regardless of having a decent place to meet or not, continued to faithfully meet with the congregation. But then there was a, a break in the clouds. They were able to find a place, a new, a new building that they uh, uh, knew to them, a building that they got and were able to renovate. And as they began to meet there, their attendance was just right at 50 people. It very quickly increased and moved up. They got about uh, 13 to 15 teenagers at the Leone congregation. Their attendance was moved to 55. 62, 71 people. We believe by the year end they can have 100 people meeting at the Leone congregation. This is an indigenous, self-supporting church. And you know the way churches grow is just through diligent hard work. Members, not just leadership, but the members getting out and really helping people to come to an understanding of the truth. Home Bible studies and personal studies are a big part of our work in American Samoa, whether it's in our home or in the home of a Samoan family. This is Brother Falo and his wife, Toy Too. They have five children, and they're Christians. We believe that Brother Falo will soon be appointed as an elder at the church there at the Leone congregation. A faithful man, but even a man who says, I still want to study in my home. And so we've had regular studies in the home with him. Brother Steve Weiss and his wife, Pam, one of our elders at Forest Park, were recently with us in American Samoa. The elders make it a practice to come on the field every year. And they work uh, right where we work, shoulder to shoulder. They come and stay in our homes. Uh, they encourage us, work together with us. They, they know and understand the work, and that's important for elders to be in such a way as that. These elders uh, are men who have a good familiarity with the city. Of course, Steve I spent 10 years on the field in the Pacific. He and Pam came. Stayed with us for a couple weeks and taught. And of course, as always, there's
to be an increase. God gives it. This family right here, they have 11 children. These folks we met about uh, six or seven years ago. The mother and father began Bible studies. One obeyed the gospel, then the next. And then the oldest children, one by one, began obeying the gospel. Wonderful Christian family there at the Laoni congregation. Good families, good sermons, good lessons like this are taught to help to ground people in the faith. Simple Bible lessons, but Bible lessons that teach. This family recently came to the congregation saying, you know, we, we have heard that the Laoni church is in the Bible. We're new Christians. We want to learn the Bible. Now, that's no negative reflection on the other brethren there. That's just what they had heard, and so they came on that basis. And I reminded the brethren there, the local leadership, you heard them, you know what they're looking for. They're expecting you in to teach them the Bible. Never mind the fluff. Let's get down to the Bible and the truth. Speaking in love. And so this is what's attracting people to the church in the Pacific Islands. Many women just like this, families and others, are coming and listening to the gospel. Brethren, if we can get people to come and listen, that's half the battle, right? And so once they do, and they hear the truth, then some will obey. Not all of them. We move from places like America and Samoa into more remote regions. And let me tell you what, it doesn't take long to kick out of our country on a small plane, go over to another country, land, and then perhaps you can get on a boat to get to an area like this and begin working. This is very typical what you're seeing right now in those remote environments. These are people largely that have not had a lot of people from other countries to come into their island. So if you were to go there, or I were to go there, chances are we may be the first people from outside the island that they've ever laid eyes on. They're going to receive you because of the custom. They're going to receive you in a good way. But they're going to do so under the auspices of their village leaders. <clears throat> their elders are going to always know what's going on while you're there. So there's a protocol that we have to observe when we go into those islands. And you want to do that. I learned a long time ago when you walk in a country, don't bother saying you're there doing this or that. Tell them straight up, I'm a Bible teacher. That's why I'm here. But if they throw me out, at least I've got it on the card. I told them straight up. You know, I've never been pitched out. They tried to do that, Joe, in one of the islands that I worked in. A bishop sent the immigration officer to us where we were sent. Brother Wendell Nita, he was in his late 70s at that time, and I had landed on this remote island to preach, and all of a sudden an immigration officer shows up out of nowhere and pulled our passport. said, I'm sorry, you're not able to preach here. Why? You don't have a permit. And I said, I just did it with the chief immigration officer back in Sometimes we're blessed to get 
not this bow. This is not a good bow. That bow, those are very typical of older equipment that they have in the Pacific. That ship will leave out from Curibus, and I'm telling you, it's broke more often than it runs. And so the problem is a ship like that runs a tight schedule. It'll go to an outer island for one day, and then it goes to another one. Well, if you get off, it may come back in a month or three or something like that. You don't see me on that boat too often. That's about as close as I like to get to that boat. We'll choose a smaller one that we can take and go out with it. And I'll make the driver sleep right by me so I know we're going to get back when we get back. Sometimes we're blessed to go on a small plane. Um, I think some of you brethren in the room have been with me on these small planes. These are twin otters. And they're double engines, and man, they can take off in a short place and almost nothing. They land on the grass runway like that and get you there, great. Usually it's about 100 to 150 bucks to fly to an island on one of these round trips. They give you about uh, a 20 kilo allowance, you know, for what you carry. You get on those planes, and we'll have bottles and tracks and everything. The islanders, however, they'll have a chicken or a pig put in a coal sack, and they'll leave a snoop, you know, outside of it throw it right on board with you, but they're dependable. These men and women know how to fly these planes. This guy's an Australian, and you notice that plane, it's up in the air. He's flying, and he's reading that newspaper. He whipped that newspaper out on us, and I thought, well, get a little nervous. I asked him about that. I said, hey, how's it going up there? He said, oh, fine, mate. He's from Australia. And I said, uh, Anything interesting in the newspaper? He said, oh, don't let that worry you. We've got control of this plane. He said, uh, I'm not flying right now, but my co-pilot, she'll take care of it. And I looked over there. He <laughs> <laughs> got a newspaper. <laughs> we made it to that island, but I'm telling you, what without some doubt on our part. The people in the Pacific are divided into three different ethnic groups. There are Melanesian people who are very dark-skinned people. There are Micronesian people who are a little bit lighter skin still, have a straight uh, black hair. And then there's Polynesian people who are a light brown skin, black hair. The each have their own unique customs about them. You can see uh, their different uh, shapes and sizes, I guess, just like we are here in America. They all have this wonderful zeal about them. They especially love singing. The brethren love singing. You can put 10 Samoans in a room to sing, and I'm telling you, it sounds like a hundred. There's something about the Pacific Islanders. They're not inhibited in singing. You know, in our custom, we, we don't sing out as much, although I've got to tell you tonight, you brethren sing out. Thank you all for singing out. And I appreciate that. I know certainly the Lord is grateful for that. But the Islanders really want to sing. And man, when they sing, they'll just push it out there. And a young man, for example, can really aspire to be a song leader. So they're not inhibited when it comes to things like singing. They really love to sing. They want to learn new songs. And this is good because it's good spiritual food for them. It builds them up when we can sing these spiritual songs. The Pacific Islands are uh, <clears throat> places where building structures are obviously a lot different. This is over in Christmas Island. The brethren built that building themselves there. That's the way it is all through the Pacific. They never, I've never known of a case where they actually hire a company to build a building. The brethren provide the labor. Of course, it's hard for them to get together the funds sometime to build a big building. We can help out with some of that, but not all of that. 
Sermons like this are meeting congregations like this. That's not a congregation of the Lord's people. That was on the first trip in in an island called Amba in Vanuatu. We had no sooner landed on that remote island, and there was one building, block building. It was a Presbyterian church building. They sent a message to us and asked, will you come and preach the word of God?
So Brother Martin said to me one day, he said, now you want to watch that stuff because you don't want to get a hold of some bad fish. And I thought, well, how could it be any worse? But <laughs> <laughs> the flies are on it all that time. And he said, well, if you see a piece of fish that the flies aren't on, don't eat that. So that means it's a bad piece of fish. The flies won't land on it. And I thought, goodness gracious, what a choice to have to make. You know, eat a fish with flies on it or don't eat it all. They dry fish out in the Pacific because it's the way they can keep it. Coconut crabs, you've heard about them. Yes, they can bust a coconut. You don't want to ever let one of these little guys get a hold of you when you're working out in the bush in the evening time or any other time. That's why they tie them up like that when they catch it. If a coconut crab gets a hold of you, he'll do some irreparable damage. But they aren't good to eat. They're very delicious. Now, these kind of things like this are not real common to them. This is a delicacy. They don't get these every day. These are sea worms, and they, they get them in special occasions, and they'll bring them to visitors. So you have something to look forward to when you come to the Pacific. The last time that I was offered these, it was for myself and a co-worker, and we had walked up, and the brethren said, well, we've got a treat for you all. And I turned around to see Buzz, and just saying, I saw the back of his heels back about 30 feet off, and they come off and running. That's a, they taste real salty, that's about all I can they have more domesticated foods in the Pacific, of course, like uh, pigs and such. Coconut is very important. They use a coconut tree in so many different ways in the Pacific. It's, a, of course, a source of food. It's made for housing and clothing and crafts, things that they sell. It's literally a lifeline for them. The cities are a lot more crowded in the Pacific. Uh, they're modern by third world standards. They're a very, very busy place. The markets, as you can imagine, are probably the most busiest places where they sell things. This is a wonderful place where we do a lot of meeting of people. Now, we'll go out to that marketplace, and I guarantee you every time we're going to end up with Bible study. Local brethren, too. They can go out in these markets and preach. And so it's a good gathering place. Some of the other cities are more modern. There's less of that. So you have to move a little bit different way. This city is such. It's Papietta. And you can see it's, it's more modern like our standards. Uh, very busy, French-speaking people. Co-workers in the Pacific are doing much, as I mentioned earlier, for the work. And certainly a vital part of what's going on in the work throughout the Pacific. Men and women, mature men and women, young men and women under the co-workers of adults with him are working to bring about people to the faith in the Pacific. Coming and serving in increments of one week, two weeks, three weeks. Some can stay for longer periods than that. But they're preaching and teaching when they're coming. They're teaching all different age groups, adults and teens and children. So this is very important to have this kind of manpower out. The uh, Pacific is uh, an incredibly beautiful place. When you look at the islands, they are just like what you would imagine. They're just beautiful. The sun rises and the sun sets, but this is the most beautiful part of the Pacific Island. After a while, that beauty of the island will wear off. If you ask me, well, hey, do you want to go down to the beach? Uh, no, I'd rather go someplace else. I'm from Arkansas. I drove over here from Arkansas on Saturday. And our family, our kids, looking at this beautiful land we call America. You know, isn't that just like us? Where we are, we don't appreciate. Where we are not, that's where we sort of look to. But after a while, the land wears off, and this is what you're left with. You're left with people. Good people, 
people who are lost, though. People who need the gospel, just like here at home. And so we try to keep that in mind. Christmas Island is the world's largest coral atoll. It's a big basket. Flat as a pancake, we frequently take campaign groups in there. It's more operable to do that.